You've just tuned into Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Welcome back to Beyond Your Past. I'm your host, Matt Pappas, certified life coach specializing in overcoming anxiety and trauma recovery. And this podcast is all about helping you move forward from what holds you back. Each week, you'll hear from coaches, clinicians, and advocates who've overcome tremendous odds and are now using their journey to inspire you throughout yours. This is your place to feel validated and encouraged as you take your life back and live free from your past. Are you ready? Let's do this. Today, I'm joined by Brian Cardoza. Brian is a speaker, survivor, artist, and author of The Unexpected Victim, his story of recovery from repeated childhood sexual, physical, and emotional abuse. You can find his book on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Just search for The Unexpected Victim. Brian's message is one of responsibility and hope. As a survivor, he works diligently raising awareness and money to fight against sexual assault and physical abuse. He believes in the potential to change your circumstances by changing your thinking. Brian's motto is, don't let this moment dictate the next moment. And that's shared by many people that he inspires. So let's jump right into it and welcome Brian to the show. How are you, man? Thanks for joining me, dude. Great. Uh, thanks for having me. We're uh, in somewhat balmy weather for North Carolina in the middle of the uh, middle of end of November. Yeah, I'm here in PA and it is somewhat balmy here. It was like 55 yesterday. Today it's supposed to be about 45. So <laughs> it's a damn near t-shirt weather for that time, that part of the year. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a time <laughs> when late November, early December was like snow and now it's you yeah. know, usually 50 degrees. So I will take it any day of the week for sure. Yeah, there are some good things about climate change. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, there's a topic we're not going to go down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. All right. So I am super stoked to have you on the show here. I know you and I have been trying to get on to get connected and get on the show here for a while now, but we finally got schedules figured out and everything's good to go. So I'm excited to share your story. And so let's kind of jump right into it here. And I guess the first thing that, um, you know, I want to ask you is, what was it that made you afraid to come forward about your abuse initially? Well, you know, it, not to sound contrary to a lot of um, a lot of other people's stories, it was it's the same thing that I, for the mass majority of men that I have spoken to and groups that I have spoken at, it is literally the fear of ridicule. It is the fear of um, proposing to the the audience or the people or the person that you're speaking to that you weren't man enough to stop your own abuse. Um, And those are things that, you know, I find prevalent through the rape culture that we have today is that when we have a culture that is so dead set on victim shaming versus actual persecution of a rapist, Um, all these things make you realize that if I come forward, all I'm going to do is get ridiculed and beaten up and I'm not going to get justice. Uh, so when I think about the things that really made me afraid to come forward, it was the fact that in my home, I was already viewed as the worthless failure, um, the, the guy that should have been aborted, so on and so forth. So when I finally realized much later in my life after my abuse that I realized that I was being raped and I was, what was going on wasn't just what happened on Tuesday. It was really hard for me to come forward because there was a lot of people that could have stopped it, but no one bothered to even really care. 
I tell you, dude, it's so very true. Um, you know, you and I both come from the male survivor perspective and some of the things that you mentioned, the fear of ridicule, you know, the fear of being viewed as somebody who wasn't man enough to stop your own abuse or get in it in the first place or speak out or anything else. Those are things that I thought for so long. And that was after I suppressed it for decades to not even think about it in the first place. So yep. I know what you, I know what you mean. And I think it's just incredible that, you know, your book is out, um, which we'll get to here in a bit. And um, I just think it's amazing that you're out here and you're sharing your story and you are encouraging other people, um, especially male survivors, that, man, you know, this this fear that we have and everything that comes along with being a male survivor, it's just something that is so important to really work through because your message needs to be heard. Every male survivor, every survivor's message needs to be heard. And we really need to work so hard and continue to work so hard to help and the shame and this, and this fear of ridicule for being a guy. And, you know, yes, we were sexually abused or physically abused or whatever the case may be, but we're not any less of a man, you know, our man card hasn't been revoked because we went through something like this. So I love what your story is. I love what you're sharing. And I'm just honored to help, you know, kind of spread the word here uh, on this podcast. Well, you know, and I, and I really appreciate the opportunity. And I just wanted to like say one thing is that actually two things is that, yeah, you'd, you'd referenced man card, and a lot of people I know they want to get rid of that term, and I agree with the the misogynistic term of what a man card is. I want to do is I want to rebrand the man card, and like you get a man card if you stop somebody from getting raped. You get a man card. Like there was a kid in and right around your home state, eight years old, who um, was killed fighting his own father protecting his mom and sister from being beaten by their dad. That eight-year-old kid deserves a man card. You know what I mean? Like he fought, he fought at eight years old, he fought what he considered what to be God. You know what I mean? Like that mm -hmm. is something to me, that's a man card, you know, a man card because, um, you know, I grew up listening to Slayer versus, you know, Depeche Mode doesn't make much sense. You know, I would like us to be able to rebrand these things and really and really focus in on heroes in our own society and you know i hear a lot from people when i talk about my story matt and it always goes right through me they're like oh you're so brave and i always just want to look at them and be like well i'm not really brave because all i'm saying is, is that we shouldn't rape people you know what i mean like <laughs> that's not a brave statement it's really kind of a sad statement that that statement still needs to be made <laughs> Yeah. And you know what? It's interesting um, about this whole man card thing, because you're right. I mean, traditionally, the man card is the tough guy, you know, a bunch of people hanging around an engine block, drinking beer and and, and talking yeah. about sports and everything. Or it's, you know, you know, how much can you lift at the gym or how far did you run today? And you're right. I think it's a very cool way to think about it, of kind of uh, redefining the man card and what that is. And you're right. That child that you mentioned absolutely deserves the newly rebranded type of man card that you're mentioning. And I mean, you're right. Speaking out and, and helping others and being an advocate and just, you know, not staying silent and, and, and working to overcome the shame, all that is absolutely worthy of, of a man card in my book as well. So I think it's a great way to look at it, dude. And I think it's really, a, I think it's a really cool idea. And you're right. I mean, the uh, traditional man card type of tough guy image, I think is starting to go by the wayside, at least some, and, you know, the work yeah, that you're yeah. doing is definitely helping to change the the image of what today's man should be. And, you know, and, and in particular, what today's survivor 
um, and just compassionate person should be. You know, it's not just the old school type of mentality, but it's but it's it's being a man who's not afraid, who's not ashamed, who's willing to you know to stick his neck out and make a statement and do things that you know are against what many people believe or many people think or just overcoming what your own inner mind is trying to tell you is maybe too risky. So I think, I think your story is incredible. Well, one of the reasons I, I talk about, about man cards and stuff like that, Matt, is that growing up and I, and I, I've said this at on Huffington Post, I've said this in other interviews. I did the typical male thing where I overcompensated for my abuse um, where, you know, if my friends drank 12 beers, I drank 24. Um, if, you know, they had, um, one night stands through the week, I had 12, you know what I mean? Like I did everything I could to prove that my machismo and my manhood was still intact. And so <clears throat> as I've gotten older and realized the stupidity of such errands that I've realized that I can... I can still be a man without being machismo. I can still be a man and be sympathetic. I can still be a man and be intelligent and not be just, you know, me big, me strong. You know, I, one of the, my favorite things to do is when I go on stage and tell everybody I'm the rape victim, that they all look at me like I'm insane because I'm six foot two. I'm almost 400 pounds. I still bench press 605 pounds. And, um, you know, I know how to handle myself. So when I get up there, I break the, the stereotype of what a lot of people think when they think, oh, a male victim. I'm curious, what are the faces of people in your audience, depending on where you're at? Like, what are they What are they looking at you? I guess, like, what's their expressions when you say, I'm the rape victim and you're this, you know, gigantic, you know, weightlifting, you know, tough guy here, so to speak. And, you know, who really yeah, just yeah. obviously can, can take care of himself now, but what's the kind of reaction that you get whenever you say that to people? It's absolutely hilarious. I mean, uh, being the victim on the stage it's, and uh, still having the cognitive look to be like, Oh, these people had no, they didn't know that was coming. So I have a group called uh, chasing immortality and we're six speakers. And when we do the bios and the posters, it just says um, six speakers from cult survival to sexual abuse survival. It doesn't designate which speaker is which. So now there are five ladies in the group, and I'm the one male. And as as the, and I speak last when and that's the hilarious part because you can see on everybody's faces like we haven't heard anything about sex abuse. We haven't heard anything about sex abuse. And then out comes me. And you can see in their heads that they cannot rationalize the information they have been given and the information that they're seeing. Because at my size and, you know, bald and tattooed and goateed, they all forget that at one point in time, I was also six years old, you know. And then all of a sudden it starts to dawn on them that, holy crap, this can happen to everybody. There's not a... It's not effeminate men. It's not gay men. It's not, uh, you know, little itty bitty women. You know, it's it's it now becomes the actual real thing, which is a humanitarian issue, not a gender biased issue. It is literally a humanitarian issue when they see someone like me come out and they're like, holy crap, even him. You know, um, it's 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 the one reason why I kind of always on stage and I chuckle a little bit. Yeah, you know, I it's funny too because I have tattoos 
and I'm kind of a bigger guy as well. And I kind of, I haven't gotten the same reaction you have because I haven't, um, you know, I'm, I'm not doing the, the exact same thing that you are as far as speaking on stage right now with your group. But whenever I have told people and people that know me about, and, you know, kind of know what's going on, and some of them say, you know, I've, I've actually had somebody tell me before, you know, well, why couldn't you stop it? You're a big guy. And you're right. I'm like, I was five to 10 years old at one point too. Like I was, <laughs> I was an innocent, helpless child who had no idea what was going on. And I was believing what, what, what this person was telling me about how it was okay. And it was cool and how I had to do it. And I was believing the threats that he was making against my family dog and against me if I didn't do what he said. So I'm like, you know, I may be able to kind of take care of myself now, but there was a time when I couldn't. It doesn't matter what we look like now, you know, whether we're, you know, six foot four or four foot six. There was a time when things happened either as a child or even later that, you know, events yep. transpired to where we couldn't stop it. And that doesn't make us any less of a man. Yep. And it's challenging that concept, which is what I enjoy. Um, but, you know, there are certain groups and people out there that, don't really enjoy men coming forward in the first place. So how are you treated today as a male survivor? What do people say to you? How do they view you? How do they treat you? I get a lot of, I get a lot of 50, 50 answers. I have actually literally, I have literally heard Matt from a conference in sex abuse. Um, you're a white male in America. What do you have to worry about? I have heard uh, when talking about, um, the adult industry and how males are being sex trafficked from people within the industry now, Matt. I mean, talking about people that actually are working with survivors, um, this person said to me, oh, you know the males enjoy it. I have heard these comments, and then I have also heard <laughs> this, like, so stuff like this. I gave my very first speech in front of 20 people, and I got done with the speech, it was a little bit of a wreck. It was an emotional mess because, you know, here I am. I just divulged in front of literally 20 strangers, my deepest, darkest stuff. And at the end of the speech, Matt, this uh, probably 70, 75-year-old black guy, big guy, I mean, just ginormous, huge man, comes walking up to me, and he's like, he just hits me on the shoulder, and he goes, you keep talking for us and then just walked away. And there was a realization that what I had just said to him was absolutely confounding. Like he, that was probably the most he had ever admitted to anybody what had happened to him. And those comments override the fact that most rape crisis centers in the country do not have an agenda or a program really set up to accept an influx of males. Now, bear in mind the exact wording I said, an influx. So if all of a sudden men started reporting on a more regular basis, most rapist crisis centers couldn't handle that flow. They are set up to handle men, but they're not handled, ready to handle the number of men coming forward. And so when I think about that question, what have I heard and how I'm treated, I'm treated rather harshly. Um, and because of my positive outlook on what I'm doing, especially being in the South, it's worth it. Um, I, I have this credo that I say is that you can't do anything to me that was worse than what's already been done. 
and you can't say anything worse to me than what I've already heard. So those are the things that give me strength when I hear the um, you the the one comment I got recently was, you know, just because you're a survivor doesn't mean you're an expert in what it takes to get by, or get over, to get an expert to survival. And I'm just like, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, you hear these things, and you do have to be a little bit mentally strong, but it's the you keep speaking for us, or it's the the time when you're in a conference and you say your story and one guy in the back stands up and he goes, I've never told anybody this, but this is what happened to me. Those are the times that it's actually, you have to look at it and be like, this is worth it. Man, dude, like I'm telling you, Brian, when you said that you keep talking for us, I mean, I, w- I, I was floored, dude. I'm telling you like that had to be so incredibly powerful. I think I probably would have been dumbfounded just standing there if I were you. Just listen to, you know, I, I almost, just have somebody say one one short phrase, say nothing else and walk away. I mean, you probably changed that guy's life. And I mean, I just, wow, I'm just, I'm in awe, dude. I think that's just, that that short little five words is just breathtaking. It is. Yeah, I, I, I tear up every time I think about that. I mean, it's it was that powerful of a message. It speaks volumes to what you're doing here. And, you know, something else you touched upon was the guy who said uh, just because you're a survivor doesn't mean that you're an expert on, you know, surviving or overcoming or whatever he said. Does that kind of stuff? That was a woman. That was a woman. 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 Okay, I'm sorry. uh, Yeah, I'm sorry. So let me ask this. And this kind of leads into my next question of when somebody says that to you, um, like, does that – what does that make you feel like? Does that, does that piss you off? Does it make you feel bad for them? Does it make you kind of question yourself? You know, is that something that maybe you would rather not hear? Like, I'm kind of curious because I have my own thoughts too, but I want to hear yours first. Well, you know, my first thought is to revert back to the Brian of old when he was drunk and high and angry. And that's just, you know, you know, when you get years and years of training, you know, that's what you revert back to. You know, if you if you don't learn peaceful resolution, and all you learn is hostile resolution, um, the first time you're confronted with something hostile, you go to what you know best. Well, you know, thankfully, I'm you know I'm not to pat myself on the back, but I'm a highly intelligent person, thoughtful, um, understanding of what I look like, and understanding of what people go through. Um, and I've heard, you know, and I've heard these kind of comments before, and I and I have to sit back and realize, you know, a lot of the people that are in this fight, Matt, they've been in this fight for 30 or 40 years. Vast majority of them are women, and for 30 or 40 years, these women that have been fighting this incredible battle to just raise awareness of sexual assault, just to even get it mentioned in some, you know, particular courts have heard some horrendous stories about men every day, have heard just some of the most evil things you can think of about men. So when I hear those kind of comments, I actually now have sympathy for them because it reminds me of the fact of how much they must have gone through. It's something I write in my book when I talk about my mom because my mom was my main physical and mental abuser. I don't truly believe any parent in this world has ever said, you know, when I have kids, I'm going to treat them worse than what I got. I think every parent thinks they're going to treat their kids better. So when I put that in the context of my mother, I have to realize 
you know, holy shit, how bad did she have it? So when I hear those kind of comments, yes, they infuriate me. Yes, even like I, I still, I'm still in therapy today. Uh, just last week I heard some stuff and I was just like, you know, Jan, what do I do? Do I keep fighting? I mean, am I being even received? Um, you know, but at the end of the day, it's the you keep talking for us that has to override the BS. And eventually maybe one day someone will hear an interview I do or something and the, you know, notoriety for men's survival and what men like you are doing and David Lezak and Michael Broussard are doing, um, David Pittman that, you know, we're all fighting not for just men's, men's uh, sexual abuse awareness, but we're, we're fighting for humanitarian fight. You know, we need to stop this in its entirety. It's such an important topic um, to drive home. You know, I mean, as a guy speaking out, you know, on you, on, on your side and on my side and everybody that you mentioned, I mean, yes, it's important for guys to speak out to help encourage guys because, you know, of everything that we've talked about so far and so much more. But it's really mm -hmm. about guys speaking out just in an effort of changing the way survivors are viewed, whether you're men or women, and changing, you know, the stigma and the way that women think about men and men think about women in terms of being abusers and being abused. And your story is helping so many people, I'm sure. And if, if nobody's told you today, dude, keep going, keep talking, man. Like, don't ever shut up because your story is yeah. making a difference. Um, you know, just like that one guy, you know, who came up and told you that through, through <clears> the stuff that I've read about you, the way that we've interacted, um, all the things that you do to really just help change the perception of what a survivor is, whether you're a man or a woman, you know, just never stop talking to, because I'm honored to, to be talking with you today to help get this message out here on beyond your past and just encourage everybody, men or women that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you've been through, everybody can stand together and understand that there's no shame, that there's no, there's no um, sense of being ridiculed that, you know, that should be out there because we all deserve to have our story told, to receive compassion and to, and to be around those who understand what it means to be a survivor. So I'm, I'm honored to know you, man, and to really just talk with you today. And I'm so glad that you're here sharing your story, dude. It's, it's the pleasure is all mine, Matt. The pleasure is all mine. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that I'll say something or you'll say something that there'll be a kid on the other side or a parent on the other side or a grandparent on the other side that goes, holy shit, I never thought about that. You know what I mean? That's the important stuff. That you are exactly right. And if I reach one person who decides to speak out or to go get help or, you know, to just change the way that they view themselves and their, and their potential, then everything is, is worth it. And that's really what it's all about. And, you know, you know, one person changes another, changes another. Um, so I am absolutely right with you. I was just going to say, I want on my headstone, um, Brian Cardoza, he reached one. Hell yeah. That is awesome. I love it. So what is your mental health state now? You know, your daily life and your advocacy, you know, kind of obviously you're speaking out, your books out there, your artwork. I think with like with most male survivors um, or really just survivors in general, um, our, da our daily mental health is in flux. You know, there's, there's uh, you know, a couple of the guys I mentioned earlier, like, you know, Michael Broussard, probably one of the bravest people you'll ever meet in your entire life. And still on certain days, is wrecked with anxiety 
um, even to a point to where not even really wanted to leave the house. Um, and I'm just like them, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and before, when I was younger and I was drunk or high or trying to be something I really wasn't, um, I didn't have those fears. But when you when you start to when you start to delve into why and what, you start to develop anxieties. You start to develop these things. But the the you know the thing for the mental health, which is the most important, and this is one of the things I tell everybody in almost every interview I do, is that mental health is such an important thing that if if you don't start receiving therapy and start getting help from a, a clinical professional, um, it's going to take you longer to recover. One of the things I I've, I think I've coined the phrase, the sooner into reco- the sooner into therapy, the sooner into recovery, is that the reason that it sucks going through therapy. It sucks. I, I, I can't. I cannot tell you how many times I've left a therapeutic's office um, a little more crushed and a little more pissed off than when I went in. And if I can encourage myself to go the next week, like I always do, I find that the anger and everything that I went last week with is gone, and it now becomes worth it. You know. Um, mental health for survivors is a, is a very key thing in regards to the fact that we're all still a little bit broken. We just are not broken enough. We're just broken enough to where we feel like we can talk about it. And just because you're seeing a speaker or just because you know an author or just because somebody does a painting, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden they're better, you know. Um, this is the reason why I call rape the worst crime against humanity is I have often said I would have been better off in this world if my rapist had just killed me because there wouldn't have been all the doubts and questions that I've had. So now I have had to live with those doubts and those questions for my entire life um, as sad and as morbid as that is. But because he didn't, I've been given the the ability to fight. I have been given the ability to stand up for brothers and sisters that have done this. And I've heard so many times from people, well, why don't you just get over it? You know, it was a long time ago. It happened, you know, when you were a kid, just don't think about it. And that's impossible. And just because somebody does something that puts them in a movement forward does not mean that all the movement back didn't exist. So the how is my mental health statement now is still pretty rough um but there are now better more good days than bad and that's the important part we're talking with brian cardoza here survivor author speaker artist um dude like you are so unbelievably right um you know i've been through therapy i've worked with a trauma-informed coach um you know there's no Obviously, there's no getting over it. I mean, like, I can't stand that phrase. I hate it when somebody says that to me because I'm like, man, you just have no idea. And then, you know, I have to kind of pause myself and reframe what I'm thinking because I want to jump right into this defense mode. But, um, you know, really, I think it's I think one of the key points from that last segment there is really just understanding that, you know, yes, we are a survivor and it's been decades since since the abuse happened. But there's, you know, we still need therapy. We still need to work on ourselves. We still have rough days. We still battle anxiety and depression. And we have all these other things that we go through. And so it's, it's something that I always try and really promote here is the understanding that, you know, healing 
is a lifelong journey. You know, this, this happened to us. Now, what are we going to do about it? And it's not a, a situation where you go and work with, with a therapist for six months or a year and oh, everything's great now and everything's cool. And I don't think about it anymore. I mean, this is something where it affects you in, in a way that affects your entire life. And every day can sometimes be a struggle. But as you mentioned, you know, the more you work on it, the more you advocate for yourself, the more you you learn to understand what happened and how it affected you. You have, you know, more quote unquote good days than rough days. And you're able to understand what happened and not make it so it's so debilitating like it was once before, but it's still a struggle. And there's still going to be days where you wake up and go, what the hell am I doing? Like, this is so hopeless, or I just feel like hell today. And, you know, why did this happen to me? And my God, I can't stand the person that did this. And all these things go through your head. So I think, you know, before we get into your artwork here, I just want to make sure that I say it again, as I've said, like a billion times. Healing from from abuse, whether it's sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, whatever it is, it's a lifelong journey, but there's hope because it doesn't have to rule your life the way that it did for so long. So keep fighting. Don't ever be ashamed. Keep talking to that therapist, talking to that coach, reaching out for help, doing everything on your own behalf, because ultimately you are the one that's going to save yourself and you are the one that's going to help yourself to really overcome your past and be a light for those who are, who, who are, who, who need a voice really, who need a light. Yeah. And you know, the one thing I would say to your listeners and on, and to you and anybody else who's willing to, to hear it is that one of the things that I find the most intriguing when people talk about healing is um, they, they be like, Oh, we'll go see a therapist. And then that's the end of their conversation. I had a, a, a very interesting conversation with, um, a female metastasized cancer uh, fighter. You know, you really don't survive metastasized. You just fight for as long as you can. Um, And she told me that one of the worst things that she has ever felt is that when people that she knows know her story, that love her, that are in her family, and they avoid the topic because they don't want to hurt her feelings. Well, you know, sometimes survivors after a therapy session, they need other survivors to come forward and be like, how are you doing? Um, how's it going? One of the things I try to do with, um, on you know, Facebook, social media is when I know another survivor has done a speech um, or has done a presentation of some sort, I try to check in with them at least within 24 to 48 hours afterwards to find out how they're doing. Um, you know, revealing this information and talking to people about sex abuse. And even though you've done it a thousand times, uh, you know, you can still reveal stuff about it that you didn't realize. Uh, you know, Michael Broussard, I've mentioned his name a couple of times. He does a thing called Ask a, Bu- a Sex Abuse Survivor. And he was saying that after the couple of years that he's been doing it, he just had a show where he just had another re- revelation about his own abuse. Um, and he's done the show hundreds of times. So, that's, you know, we need to all check in on each other, um, and we need to continue going forward doing that and being humanitarians, um, whether it's political, religious, ethnic, whatever, we need to all realize that we're in this battle together and we're, we're all floating on the same blue marble, you know? So well said, Brian. I mean, it, you are you are exactly right. Um, being Being conscious and being mindful of, you know, when a survivor is talking about their past and what happened and understanding that, as you mentioned, um, you know, coming out of a therapy session or something, 
decades later, you know, you've told your story a billion times already, but a new memory pops up, a new realization yep. comes into your head and you're like, oh my God, holy crap. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I walked out of a therapy session just absolutely dejected and down and why am I doing this? And I feel like hell and this is horrible. And then because some some new message came out or or some new memory um, you know, popped into my head of something that happened that I never realized. And even now today, um, obviously the, the new memories don't come as often, but, but they still do come. Um, you know, perhaps it's a different realization of, of where something happened or how it happened or what happened or, or a voice or a trigger that comes up. That's something new. And I have to understand and deal with it and work my way through it. And I just, I, I think, you know, what you mentioned about checking in with a survivor when they've shared their story and, you know, within the, within the first couple of days is so crucial because you're right. It can be really, it can, it can knock you on your feet when you, mm-hmm. you know, even the most, you know, uh, seasoned survivor as has those times where a new memory comes up and you're just, you're knocked for a loop and you have to process it. Yeah. So I love what you're doing by reaching out to those survivors, man. I love it. I love it. So Thank let's you. let's uh, finish up right now, and let's kind of talk about uh, first off your artwork. Well, um, well, a lot of my artwork is survivor pieces. Even even the stuff that you would look at and be like, that doesn't look like a survivor piece. Like I just did a piece um, where the background is on fire. It's single. It's a single boat in a in a floating pool of water with a single tree, um, and that's a survivor piece. And I don't want anybody to ever get confused in the fact that. You know, as a survivor, every piece or every time a brush hits a canvas that I'm doing a survivor piece um, and think that that's what every survivor does. It just that's what I do. And, and everything is a symbol and everything is um, what I'm feeling at the time. Um, you know, like the painting I did yesterday was, you know, the entire background looks like it's on fire. And that's because in my head. I couldn't get out of my own way, and I felt like I just wanted to set the world on fire, um, you know, positive or negative. And then I painted the boat and the tree just to give me a semblance of like, okay, there's an out. You know what I mean? Like, there is salvation in front of you, and um, through salvation, growth can come. And sometimes for me, the solitary tree in a background of isolation and desolation says more to me than anything else because it is just a testimony to the strength of um of growth and what we need to do to go forward i applaud you so much dude and i tell you because being being able to use art to express yourself in any number of ways you know not just around the uh a survivor world is just incredible I, i would love to be able to do that but i can't even draw strict like um, stick figures, dude. Like I can't draw anything. Um, I uh, express myself in different ways, but unfortunately yeah, for me, art right is not one of them, but I appreciate people like you so much who can take, you know, what's in your head and put it out on a canvas or on, or, or, or on a drawing or something and just make it come to life and really show what's, what's going on in your life. I think it's just incredible. So where, where can people find your artwork? Um, well, I have a uh, social media page called Survivor Nights. But Knights like old, K-N-I-G-H-T. Um, you can find a lot of my work there. You can find some of the work that I do for awareness and social media outlets. We, um, we're doing a, we do a traveling art show. We're doing one in Philadelphia on, I believe, March 25th um, at the Rotunda at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, Michael Broussard and I are putting it together. You can go there. We, we feature survivor art. 
Uh, one of the things I have found, uh, and I know we want to wrap this up, but one of the things I have found with uh, survivor, just that term, not necessarily sex abuse or whatever, the reason why I started Survivor Nights, Matt, is that if I was going to, if I'm going to wait for another male to come forward and discuss what happened to them so that I can discuss what happened to me, I'm really going to be waiting a very long time. Men just don't come forward and we don't talk about it openly. So one of the things I realized in my studies of psychology and survival and people with terminal uh, afflictions, even domestic violence, so on and so forth, that we share a lot of the, the first 10 to 15 uh, afflictions with assault and survival together, whether it be with bartering, anger, um, negotiations, you know, all these kind of stuff. So instead of waiting for another male survivor, I can literally go talk to a domestic abuse survivor and talk about what the isolationism felt like. I can talk about with them what it, what the bartering system of like, why me? What 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 did I do? Um, you know, these things we have in common. So to sit around and wait for someone specifically was becoming more detrimental to my own health. So I started Survivor Nights so that people would start to get the realization that we can talk to everybody. And you never know what the person in front of you in line for coffee is, is gone through. So open up, have these conversations. So you can find my art and other survivors' art on SurvivorNights.com, Facebook. Um, you can find my art at BrianCardoza.com. And you can also find my book. Excellent, excellent, man. And yeah, let's uh, talk about your book a little bit more here before we wrap this up. And by the way, the uh, art show in Philly I will be there, man, because yeah. I'm I'm in PA. I'm about two hours uh, west of Philly, so I will have a ticket for you. <laughs> I would be honored to be there and help support you, and 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 the art show and everybody that comes out. And I think one more thing before we get into your book here is you're right. You know, being a survivor, um, you know, it's not just always about talking to other survivors who have gone through like similar to what you did reach out and talk to a survivor of a domestic violence or of, you know, um, emotional neglect or whatever. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You'll, you'll find similarities there that will be really annoying. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And you'll, and you'll, and also be very refreshing. Um, You know, one of the first things I've heard from every male survivor uh, that has come forward and spoken their truth is that they don't feel like they're alone anymore. And because every male survivor, you know, I honestly believe every male survivor is in their head. They've had two questions. A, am I the only guy that this has ever happened to? And B, does this make me gay? Um, And those are the two questions that are probably pretty unique to male survivors. And with those two questions, when you're talking to somebody else and they say to themselves, like, I thought I was the only one or that in my family, I'm the only one or whatever you start to realize like, holy crap, these people actually understand what I'm going through. And you can have that conversation, that open dialogue, which is so important. Absolutely. It is, it is incredibly important understanding that you're not alone. And I tell you, it, it never gets old. It never gets more, you know, uh, any less awe-inspiring when somebody says, holy crap, that's the same way I feel. Or holy crap, somebody said what's been in my head for 20 years now. I mean, that just, it, al- it always floors me. Oh my God, it's yeah. affirmation. It's floors me. I'm just like, it just, mm-hmm. it reaffirms so much that, you know, what I'm doing is good and it's helpful and it's healthy. And even as tough as it is, you know, as we've been talking about through this podcast, it's worth it when you reach just one person. 
Um, and yep. I'll be sure and put the links to your Survivor Nights, your artwork, the website, everything in the show notes. But tell us just a little bit about the book, um, if you don't mind, uh, you know, where, where people can find it and it, uh, anything else you want to share about it. Yeah, it's uh, on Barnes and Noble and on Amazon. It's an ebook and also hard and um, also uh, paperback. Um, it's been out for about two years now. Uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of sad because um, I, I feel like it's been kind of put aside because it's a male story. Um, but that's my own issues. It's a uh, it's a story about literally before I was born, so that everybody has context to the time when I'm about twenty. Um, to the time right before I go to jail. Um, I was only in jail for a very little time, but it, I stopped the story there because I, I want to I write another book um, detailing from 20 to 40 the process of being at absolute bottom to now what I call, you know, how you, I'm sure you've heard the term um, victim, survivor, thriver. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I want to add another thing to it, and it's going to be called Victim, Survivor, Thriver, Giver, because being a giver of my story has took my healing to a new level. And I think we should all aspire to, when we get to that level, give back. And so when I wrote my story and I, you know, I put it on, uh, on Barnes & Noble on Amazon, it was the ability to for, you know, 12 bucks, get people to um, understand a message and understand that this happens to everybody. And the book details the systematic abuse by a very negligent father, um, a brother who was informed by his mother that I was the reason his father left and that my abuse was my penance for not making him love the family. So, you know, my, my, my life from, from six years old to 15, some people have called a relative hell. You know, the sad part is, is that when I look back on it, I, you know, at 15, I, I left, I was kicked out of my house. I almost, I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, and it was December 14th, 1989. I had to sleep in a car in the middle of winter. And I, and I, and this is not a fictional story. I literally almost froze to death. And when you when we opened up the conversation, you said, "My, you know, power of choice," because that night, Matt, I had three choices. I could either go back, back home, and beg to be led into a very abusive home, and then give them more inform, you know, give them more ammo um, that I couldn't even make it at night on my own, um, or I could just let myself die, or I could continue to fight, and I continued to fight, and I made a ton of mistakes. Um, it wasn't a blissful journey, even remotely, but the book details some of those choices and the, the ideal that I was looking at from a perspective of abuse and trying to understand and regulate it in my head, why the abuse was happening. And from one survivor to another dude, I'm glad that you continued to fight. I'm glad that you didn't give up. And I'm glad that you're sharing your story. It's been an honor talking to you. Uh, we could go on and on. And I definitely want to have you back mm-hmm. on the future. Um, let's let's connect down at the conference in March. And then we'll, we'll set up another podcast to talk about the art show right. and get into some more of your book. Um, it's been incredible. I've yeah. uh, been talking to Brian Cardoza. Uh, speaker, survivor, artist, and author of The Unexpected Victim. Check him out. I'll have all the, the links to his, uh, to his website, to his social media, to the artwork. 
everything in the show notes. Definitely check it out. Brian, thanks so much, dude. You are incredible, man. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Matt. And thank you for your audience for listening. Uh, It's not always an easy topic, but thank you. Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Information shared on this podcast should not be considered as a substitute for professional medical help or mental health counseling. If you've ever considered working with a certified coach, or if you simply have questions about how working with a coach can benefit you, just head on over to beyondyourpast.com for more information and to schedule your free introductory session. We'll work together to figure out what's holding you back so that you can realize your full potential and discover the authentic you. Remember, you are worth it. Achieving your goals and waking up each day knowing that you can handle what's coming and thrive is something that everyone deserves. So take that first step and contact me today and let's do this. Talk to you soon.